it's okay not to be okay because we're going to all not be okay at some point but it's not okay to stay not okay because there's options out there for you and one of the options that i finally grab hold to is to go talk to somebody welcome to another edition of the cusp show the columbia university sports podcast where we talk about the business of sports media disruption all different kinds of things depends on the week i'm joe favorito along with my co-host tom richardson tom Welcome back on what's a potentially snowy Friday in the Northeast. Yeah, or snowy weekend. But um, I think all eyes are beyond the the snowstorm that we're expecting. All eyes are on the NFL, as usual, at the end of January. I mean, Joe, what we just witnessed last weekend was was one of the most amazing sports experiences for football fans that I, I remember in my lifetime. Four amazing games. I was personally mesmerized. So much fun, and it's setting up for a great weekend. By the time we publish this podcast, of course, we will know the results. But uh, if anybody, uh, if anybody wants to make any predictions today, as we just have this discussion with it, someone who knows a little bit about the NFL, then I'm happy to get some tips. But um, it's just a reminder how dominant the NFL is. I mean, they really have all the oxygen in the sports room at this time of the year. Which yeah, it's funny. Fans, um, it's fun. I was joking around with somebody. The Kentucky Derby also always boasts itself as the two most exciting minutes in sports. But I don't know how you take away from the end of the fourth game with the two most exciting oh my God. minutes in sports. And yeah. uh, um, I had heard, I talked to Brian McCarthy at the NFL this week. He had heard that there were at least four writers who were writing books just off of last weekend that yeah. already like, went to their publishers. The well, drama here. So, but anyway. One of my main takeaways is I have a new favorite player in the NFL, at least for this week, and that's Josh Allen. I just that, I think that guy is just something. Uh, what yeah. a pleasure to watch. And uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing him in the playoffs the next few years. On the yeah. tech side, Tom, there was one slip up. I don't know if you saw what happened with uh, Paramount Plus. I think it was Paramount Plus crashed um, during the Packer game. And uh, apparently, you know, that didn't sit well with some people for about 20 oh, minutes. Oh, I didn't hear that. Not no. So streaming is still not perfect. Yeah, well, so. I'm still living in the TV industrial complex with my yes. optimum uh, cable access. So no, no problems <laughs> anyway. there. Anyway, why don't you uh, why don't you set yeah. us up? This is a really great show, so let's get right into it. Yeah. Um, so it's very rare. Twice in a month, we will have Super Bowl. Someone who has a Super Bowl ring on his hand, although he got his after playing sixteen years uh, when he was in the front office in Philadelphia. But sixteen years, NFL Hall of Famer, has written a book called "Best Blessed by the Best," um, and we're going to talk about not just the career on the field, but mentoring and helping people out, and a little bit of mental health. So. Brian Dawkins, welcome to the Cusp Show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Um, Brian, it's an honor to be talking to you. I mean, what you accomplished in your career, nine-time Pro Bowl and, and, you know, the the Hall of Fame induction in 2018 is just amazing. Um, But I think it's uh, quite interesting what you've done after your career, particularly the last few years. And I know since we have limited time for this conversation, we want to just jump right into probably the most important endeavor that you have right now, which I guess is the publication of your book from, I guess it was August of 2021, so six or seven months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so for everybody listening, the book is called Blessed by the Best. And one thing stood out to me, Brian, in reading about the book, unfortunately, I've not read the book yet, but I'd like to, but um, Sal Palantonio from ESPN <laughs> called it, this is a great quote. I'm sure Brian appreciated this quote, the most powerful and poignant autobiography I've ever read by a professional athlete. 
And I know that got my attention. So you want to just tell us a little bit about how what led to the publication of the book and, and the process of, of writing it? Wow, right, Sal? Thank you. Appreciate that big time. Um, <laughs> nice shout out. Um, absolutely. What, what led me, first of all, that's not something that I ever thought that would be next to my name is author, right? I never thought myself to be someone that's going to write a book at no point ever, especially going through school. I wasn't the biggest of, of readers necessarily. So to have that now to be a part of my name going forward is a blessing and a surprise at the same time. This book came out of the, the brainchild of me listening to the admiration that I had been given as I was being prepared for preparing my speech for the Hall of Fame. And as I put in the book, I, I don't write speeches. I just, you know, kind of have a couple of phrases, a couple of words, a couple of names, and I go from the heart. And that's what I did on stage that day. And so, but, but the admiration that I was getting from a lot of people really left me at a place that I felt that they thought that the success that I had, right, that, that's just been my life. Like, I've, I've, well, I've been winning. Like the song say, every, every, all I do is win, right? All I do, no, no, no. So I then began to think about things from a perspective of how could I share, which I did before, even in my Hall of Fame speech, to be transparent on some of the things that I've grown through in my life. And I say grown through on purpose. I didn't say go through, I say grow through because that's what we must do in order to have a successful life period. You have to learn from your past and not allow your past to continue to hit you across the head with pain to prevent you from being everything that you can be for your for the future, right? And so coming out of the Super Bowl, to be honest with you, when we won the Super Bowl as an executive, my heart began to change about blessing people in the building but blessing people out of the building the same way I was blessed to bless people in the building, if this makes sense. So whether it be players, coaches, and just sometimes walking into other executives' office because they were my teammates then as well, right? They were my new teammates. So sometimes just having conversations and, and reading body language and being, you know, offering suggestions and, and just, you know, being the, the, the light that I can be in the building. I wanted to then, I, I felt led to do that outside of the building. And I couldn't do that in the building. You know, if you're employed by a team, right, your time is being spent doing things for the team, right? And so that's the space that I stepped into. And the initial, the initial part of that was me writing this book. So now we're on the book. And that's what this came in, to write the book. To begin to go down some of the things that I've grown through in my life, some of the specific things that were painful while, while I went through it, that now have shaped me to be someone that just um, has the calluses, if you will, to withstand whatever then comes after that because I took that information and now apply it differently. So I reframe the way I've seen some things in my past and that powerful mindset drives me today. So that's kind of a, and I don't want to go too much further into it because I can, but, but I won't. Um, but, but that kind of drove me to, to write the book, to be transparent and to tell some of the stories that I've, you know, went through, grown through in my life. Um, Brian, it's funny. I just started, luckily my son just got a new Apple phone, an iPhone. So we were blessed enough to get not just, um, Apple TV, but also somehow I ended up with ESPN plus. So I spent part of the last week watching Man in the Arena, Tom Brady's Nine Hours. And ironically, one of the more interesting ones was the second to last one when the Eagles beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And he talked about the journey um, and the things that he learned about. 
What are some of the things, especially spending, you know, most of your career in Philadelphia and a little bit in Denver, when you look back, who are the people who you look back now and said, man, I didn't realize how much they influenced me then, but they did. And what did they do to kind of help shape you to the person that you are today? And, and these individuals aren't, aren't a secret. If you know me, if you listen to my speech, and mm -hmm. these are the same individuals that I will talk about now. And the first one would be Emmett Thomas. It would be Uncle E. Like mm -hmm. Emmett blessed me in so many ways with his caring, um, his um, <laughs> his his ability to absolutely tell you the absolute one hundred percent truth in a joking way. Sometimes, like he had a, he has a, a gift for that. But I felt his love, and I felt he cared about me, and I felt he cared about me not just as a player but as a person, with me and wife, me and my wife Connie. So he blessed me to, to, to see things differently, to see myself differently, to be honest with you. I saw, in, I saw through Emmett's vision of me for the first three years of my career, two years, two and a half years of my career. I didn't have a vision for myself. I was just trying to make the team. I was just trying to be a, um, a good player if I can, hopefully be a pro bowler. I didn't, but I didn't know what I was necessarily doing, right? But he had a vision for me. He saw me as being that. I didn't see that. So I began to develop and take his word for it because I know he loved me and trust me that I can do what he said. I was mentioning some of the things that he thought that I should be doing. And so he never let me settle for average. He never let me settle for making a tackle. He would always push me to, you shouldn't have just made the tackle. You should have made that interception. You should have made this play. This is the play that's out there for you. And he, he would mention it like this may not be out there for this other player, but it's out there for you. And so I'm like, wow. But here's the thing. Once I begin to have success seeing the vision that he had for me, then I took the vision and took ownership of it. And then I expanded it to go beyond what he saw for me so that I can go on to have the success that I had for 16 years, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one of the, the main ingredients in my Philadelphia career because he was also one of the individuals that helped me to go get the help that I needed from a mental health standpoint to talk to the counselors, which I needed to do, which I wasn't going to do. <laughs> had, he, had he and not, and my wife not tag teamed on me to, to kind of, hey, you know, I'm going to grab your hand. You're going to see somebody. And that blessed me as well. So I would say he would be the, the, the main clog in that to help me to be the player, yes, but the man that I've become. I want to, Tom, I just want to follow up yeah. one more time because you just touched on something that's become more and more prevalent and would love your opinion on how it's evolved is the mental health aspect of sports. We've seen now, especially in the last couple of years, not just the pressure being publicly talked about from high school kids all the way up, even grammar school kids all the way up to the NFL. How has that evolved in terms of the team setting and the stigma that's gone away? Uh, and how much more do you think that should be part of the process of, of building kind of, whether it's the ultimate athlete or the ultimate young person at this point. It's an extremely important part. You can have all the phys physical attributes of a, of a demigod, right? But if you're not right here, if you have things going on here, if you don't, if you can't come to grips, like I said, with some of the things that's happened in your past and it's constantly being a toxic um, um, attitude for you in your present, like, you won't be able to utilize that gift that you have physically, right? So your mental is so important. And the stigma is dwindled. It's not as bad as it used to be, but it's still there. It's, mm -hmm. it's still there. 
And, you know, one of the things that I was blessed to then talk about on stage is that part of it. When I gave my Hall of Fame speech, is that part of it. The things that I was dealing with that nobody saw because I had that mask on. That you put that mask on, everything is okay. But here's the thing about it. And here's the thing that I, I, I pray people grab from this. That it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. Because we're going to all not be okay at some point, right? But it's not okay to stay not okay because there's options out there for you. And one of the options that I finally grabbed hold to is to go talk to somebody, to begin to talk to somebody about some of the things that were going on with me. And here's the great thing about talking to somebody that happened for me. When I talked to somebody, I poured out some of the things that I had been holding on to. So it brought me down off my emotions. And then from a vertical relationship or my, my relationship with the Lord, I began to get poured into me some other things that I need to start doing, some practices I needed to start doing, some disciplines that I do in my life now today that I needed to start doing, right? So pouring out some in order to gain more of another more positive thing is what I, what is what, is what I did. And so that's what's happening in this space for people now. And, and I always say that for men, we are, our, our silence is literally killing us, literally. Because mm -hmm. many of us, I won't just say me, but many of us have grown up that you just suck it up. You deal with it. Don't talk about your feelings. Don't never let them like the commercial. Don't let them see your sweat, right? And that's cool for the commercial. And there's some things that you do like that. Like there's some things you need to suck, suck up, right? Just deal with. But, but your internal hurts. Those things, those some toxins from your past, some relationship issues, some 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 traumas. No, you can't suck those up because they're they're just slowly building more and more pressure inside of you. And at some point they're going to implode. And that's what happened. That's what happened to me. That's why I went and that's the that was the last straw that I that happened to me. That forced not forced me. That um gave Emmett and Connie the I guess the the unction to tag team me to to go get some help. And so that's what ha that's what's happening in this space. And you do see a lot of teams having um, professionals that players can then go to. Here's the thing from a player perspective, though. If I tell you what's going on with me, will you believe that I can still do what I need to do on the field? Mm. That's that's one of the dy dynamics that's going to happen. And every player that seeks to get some type of a help, will they still, still believe that I can get the job done? Or am I... Um, uh, a liability. I'm, I'm no longer an asset because I have this weakness. I've confessed this is a weak area for me. How how does that filter through um, an organization that you may not understand where I'm going through, what I'm uh, going through from where I've come from? And because you can't empathize with me, that's a weakness. And maybe he won't be all the way present to perform on the field like he could. And maybe we need to draft somebody in his spot. See, that that is a, a, a thought process. And I can almost guarantee that that I won't say all guys, but many guys go through before they have that conversation with that health professional. You know, it's interesting. That's an interesting thought. I was just on the other side of that coin, thinking how if you were rehab or if a player is rehabbing a knee, they're in the training room. Literally, everybody can see them getting rehabbed on the knee. But if I don't know, like, and, and this is a kind of a follow up to the question I'm going to ask. But if there's a counselor or psychologist on the premises, and if they see a guy walking into that office, do they come to that conclusion? Something's up with that guy. I wonder if he's gonna, if his head's going to be right for the game this weekend. So, the the follow up question, Brian, is 
do you feel as though teams and organizations that that are whether whether in pro sports or in college sports or even youth sports are they bringing in actual full-time mental health and wellness folks psychologists counselors etc to be present just as weight trainers you know strength and fitness coaches would be present there are some that are doing that and there are also others that are that are leaving that to um off off-site like, yeah off-site right because right? okay. once again here's the thing that i don't want i don't want you knowing what's going on with me because that's not for you to know so if anybody that's in-house i think is going to then leak that information what i'm going through and i don't want to tell somebody what i'm what's happening with me with anybody on the up you know up, um in the uh upstairs then no that's that, that's a recipe for disaster when it comes to that health professionals um credibility i'll say it like that so again, there there may be some of that, but I think a lot of it is kind of outsourced so that they can have that. We know that you are safe to have these conversations, to be 100% real raw about what you're going through so you can truly get the help that you need. Yeah. Hey, Joe, have you seen any of that in, in your discussions around uh, like with the athletic directors, you know, and some of the people in college? Sadly, uh, um, some yes. But a lot of it, as Brian just touched on, is box checking and saying, oh, we've got that. You know, we don't want to invest in that. I think, and, and this kind of leads me to my question, especially with young people, Brian, is you started off in a, an NFL that didn't have the pressures of social media. Um, you've been around a lot of young people. Um, when you talk, go in and talk to young people, boys, girls, athletes, um, people who've sought you out after a Hall of Fame career. I'm sure there's been a lot of them. Um, how has that pressure changed and how do you advise them or give some, some, some input onto how they either shut it out now or how you handled it that you would like to tell them that you weren't able to handle it in one yeah. way? What's the advice you give them? So the first thing that I say that you have to, honesty is the most important thing here. You have to be honest with yourself about this subject that I'm about to talk about. If you can't handle <laughs> the comments that come back on this thing, mm -hmm. delete your account. Don't get on it. Mm -hmm. Only post things that promote something that you're trying to do. Don't go on it reading the comments. If you can't handle that, if you can't handle the feelings, the the and 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 it's not it is not pushing feelings away because we all want to see good things written about us right but it, it's the ability to read it to feel it yes i may feel it but i'm not going to do anything with that because that's that one a person's opinion and it, unless i agree with that person that it does not matter right but if i don't have the the wherewithal and the strength and the mental uh, fortitude to be able to handle these comments I say that you limit this to only doing things once again that you want to promote things that you want to have which if you have a foundation if you have do it use it for that don't do it the other way now if you're going to be on it and these are some of the practices that i've done right if someone has written something about me um and this is as social media really began to to, to, to wake up a little bit until it become before it became the beast that it is now um And I got this from, actually, I got this from Herm. If there is a, a message that someone sends me that I, and it really gets to me, I'll write out a response. And then I'll read it and I'll shake my head at it. 
and then I'll delete it. So I've gone, I've gone through the exercise yeah. of getting that thing out of me. So I'm no longer holding into that, holding on to that anger. I've get, I've gotten it out of me and if you can write it down as well, either, either way you want to do it. But then I delete that message because once again, I recognize and realize that that one individual, and as I call them, they're, they, they, they're really, um, social media, tough guys. Like yeah. it's a lot of tough people on social media. Oh my goodness. And the majority of them will not say the thing that they said the way that they said it to your face. To your face. Yep. They 100%. would not do it. Yep. And so I'll because say, of especially that, you, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe to me or Joe would be different. <laughs> but, but 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 because of that, I'm not going to give this person too much more of my energy. That was right. enough of it. I'm gonna write this thing out, write what I would say to this person, and then I move on. Here, but here's what I do. If there's someone and they have been people, you know, with me, I would engage with that person and be as extremely polite as possible mm-hmm. and try to get them to understand what they just said to me was jacked up in some type of way, whatever the case may be, or whatever message I'm trying to get across, not to them, but the people who's going to read this exchange. I'm no longer thinking about that person anymore. I'm thinking about the people that's going to read this exchange. What, what benefits are they going to gain from it? by me handling the situation the way that I'm about to handle it. Now, if that person is just a jerk, then you, thank you for this, your comment. We're going in two different directions. You be blessed. And then I delete, and then I block, and then block, that's right. the end of that, right? So, yeah. but that's, that's but, but these are different options you can, you can have at your repertoire that you can utilize in these instances that you get these, like I said, these social media, media tough guys that want to come flex on your posts. Mm-hmm. Brian, with all this excitement about name, image, likeness and college sports and all the good things about it and upside with it, Aaron Taylor, who we had on the show a few weeks ago, talked about the downside. And he addressed this issue you brought up of just the, the fact of the matter is a lot of people of this age group, whether they're college athletes looking at NIL deals or even high school, because it's going to be into high school, too. They're just not necessarily mature enough to balance the challenges of being an earner using social media for NIL purposes and dealing with the responsibilities of being an elite athlete and going to college. What are your thoughts about NIL? I believe that it is a powerful tool for those who can use it properly, right? But 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 not everybody's gonna be able to to do it right. in that in that form. And to your point, there's no way coming out of high school I would have looked to try to do these things by myself. There's no way. There's no way. So usually it's through somebody that you know, somebody who's had some type of success. You've asked them, like, who do you use for this? Who would you suggest that I go talk to about these things or whatever the case may be? So now you have someone that you can trust in your corner that can help you navigate this space because it's a new space for everybody. Right. And so now you have someone that can help you navigate this space. So all of your, uh, not a lot of energy is now, is, is not given to this. You have someone that helps you to um, help your brand, if you will. Even in high school, you have cats that have brands, right, in high school. So you help people, have people that can help you with that, right? And to me, that would be the thing that I offer any and everybody. Don't try to do this by yourself. Yeah. Don't try to, don't, don't just, and don't use your uncle. Like your uncles are cool. And I'm cool. I'm not saying like this, I wouldn't use my uncle. I wouldn't use, cause they, some of them would not have seen the money that you could possibly going to make. And it's, <laughs> and you don't want to have to fire your uncle. Right. So like, yeah. So 
get somebody that's reputable that you can look into that that can help you navigate this space. Oh, are there people that are doing that, like like NIL advisors? Yeah, sadly, there's too many of them right now. There's yeah. lots and lots yeah. and lots. Of oh them. yeah, any yeah. anytime there's money to be made, <laughs> right. there's an industry that's going to be made just like yeah. that. Like yeah, absolutely, well, absolutely, there's an industry. You know, and along those lines, you know, that's an interesting question because um, we're here at the end of January, um, and we've seen a lot of this in fintech now. And now I just saw LeBron James just launched a foundation that's going to help young people understand cryptocurrency. Good luck with that. But um, did you have um, in the locker room, especially over the course of your career when you were in Philly, um, when money was discussed, were there people and or do you think that there's more people now that come along and can actually help young people advise on things like simple, like investing? I mean, how did, how were you able to map that out throughout the course of your career? And, and again, what do you look back now as young people come along with this kind of tranche of money? Uh, what's the advice you give them on on saving and, and financial security? Man, you have to, one of the things that I made a mistake on my rookie year is not having a financial advisor. So I didn't have anybody financial advising me and I tried to do my things myself. And I hired, and I had my uncle, <laughs> there's the uncle again <laughs> doing, doing, I had somebody doing doing some stuff for me and that was a disaster that was a disaster it wasn't that that person tried to cheat me it's just certain things that that person didn't know and it came back to bite me at the end of the year with a check I had to write so like yeah so there's some there's some 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 things there that but what happened after that and I was wasn't doing a good job of saying no to people, which I should have. I wasn't comfortable saying no to individuals. And because of that, my bank account dwindled greatly my rookie year. So I had to do something that next year. So I hired uh, my financial advisor. She's been with me ever since then. She would tell you she's my Jewish mom. So yeah, she's, <laughs> and the thing that we did right away was like budget, budget can't see it you can't spend it that was that's her that's her that's her formula mm, you can't see advice. it you can't spend it and so we would come up with what we're going to have it for the house and what do you need for gas and all those things and that would come to our account and everything else would go to our portfolio and that's that's how we did it now if i was into then being an entrepreneur and looking at for those things then obviously we would look look into hiring somebody else to do exactly what she did to help us in that way of how to mm -hmm. go about doing those things. But my mindset at the time was I wasn't someone at the time that can kind of be at two places at one time mentally. So I dove a hundred percent into football. So football was, this, it was what I was going to do. And so that's what I did. But I also, I had teammates though, that were doing different things. They had businesses like Troy was Troy Vincent, for instance, yep. uh, Troy had a couple of companies. He had a couple of businesses and he was doing some things. So if I was interested in doing that, guess who I would have asked for some advice or some, some lead way into certainty, I would have asked Troy. So that's what you look for. You look for those individuals, once again, that have had success and that are doing it. And then as, as the saying goes, success leaves trails. So when you're looking at these individuals, they're showing you some things and there's going to be some things that you're going to do different than them, but at least they can give you the kind of the blueprint. And so one, for me, once again, to answer that question, to bring it back, financial advisor is what I got. Someone to help me cool. and help me through that process. 
Cool. So that I was reading about your foundation, the Impact Foundation, and I know that I believe it was 50% of the proceeds of the new book is going to the foundation. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, which is great. Um, but the, the focus of the foundation, according to what I read, was um, mental wellness, financial literacy, and family assistance programs. So I guess you're taking this stuff seriously. Uh, you're, put, you're putting your money where your mouth is, as they say. Uh, talk a little bit about the foundation and how you're promoting it and how it's growing. Absolutely. So mental health, I, I call it cerebral wellness. I, I don't say ment- mental health because we, of what we just talked about. We talked about the stigma behind it. Love that. And, and, and the way that I, the way it operates for me now, because I say mental and mental coming from where I came from in Jacksonville, Florida, the word mental meant something negative for me. When I say mental, I'm thinking about institutionalized. I'm thinking about straitjacket. I'm thinking so. I'm thinking about a whole bunch of bad things. When you just say the word mental, now that's not the definition of it. But right. because my how I've been conditioned, how I've been programmed that way, mm-hmm. so I changed it to cerebral wellness. You know, cerebral has to do to for me more of gathering more information, not just making emotional decisions. Cerebral, like a more um, out of the box way of gathering. Right. And then um, wellness has to do with the things that you do on a daily basis to stay healthy physically and mentally. I always put spiritually in as well, because we can be healthy spiritually Mm -hmm. as well in those areas. So certain things you do every day to have that be the case. So now you put cerebral wellness together. You got yourself a powerful formula for success mentally. Mm -hmm. And then to talk about financial literacy, because I I just told you the story (laughs) where 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 we end up, I have. That first year, I made $575,000, and I think I had maybe $20,000 left over in the account <laughs> going into the next year. So, yeah, we needed a financial advisor, right? So, and then um, the last one was family assistance programs. And, and, and this is prevalent for me because two, about two individuals that I've had in my life as good friends lost their lives to the streets. Mm. And both of them didn't have a father figure in the household. So the mom was doing the best she could. She was working all the time, but they didn't have that authority figure in the household, right? And the, some of the financial support that that that's, um, individual brings to help them be able to do things that can help them stay out of the streets. And so mm-hmm. because of that, I saw that plight in my neighborhood with my good friends. I lost one in the 10th grade and I lost the other one um, a sophomore in college. So, yes. So then I begin to think, well, how can I then help those single parents to be able to help them pay for things to keep their kids into things that are active, to keep them moving to whether it, and if they need fun, um, mental health assistance, we can through through a program, through different programs. We're starting off with the Caring People Alliance in Philadelphia. We're going to bless them and they're going to find the families and bless these individuals. So once again, we can pay for these parents to so that they can pay not pay for these parents we're going to pay help, help the parents pay mm-hmm. for the, their kids to get the things and do the things that they would not be able to do one of the blessings for me was football not because i played in the national football league yes that was a huge blessing but it was it kept me busy it kept me occupied it kept me out of some of the things that my friends got into when they start to try to just do things but and because I had that authority figure in my life and my father that I did not want to disappoint 
Like it kept me from going some of the doing some of the things that 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 they wanted to do. If this makes sense, so that's kind of the, the foundation. There's other things we want to do, but those three things are, are extremely important, I believe, for a um, a well-rounded person, young person, to grow into an adult. Mm -hmm. Joe, um, yeah, go ahead. Ahead. I, have, I have one more question. Yeah, before yeah, me, me too. But you go first. Um, Sixteen years in Philly. Uh, you mentioned Sal Palantonio on the back of your book. I've known Sal for a long time, even to the point where most people don't know he wrote the quintessential bio of Frank Rizzo, the mayor of Philadelphia in two parties, not just in one. Um, what was it like when you talked to guys from around other who played in other cities and people don't know? What was it like, the pressure and both the glory of being in Philadelphia because you did play in a Super Bowl? Um, for all those years versus other places you could have played? What was Philly like to you? And I always say it like this, Philly, Philly loves hard. Mm -hmm. So that means they're gonna get after you hard. Like they're gonna let you know exactly what's on their mind. They're not gonna hold back. They're not gonna sugarcoat stuff like, and, and, I'm, and, and, and for me, I was fine. I was cool with that because growing up where I grew up, in the neighborhood that I grew up in, the competition and, and the, the things, the coaches, even on in Pop Warner, like they weren't sugarcoating a lot of things, right? So I was used to it. And so I developed the mindset, I think as Bruce, Bruce Lee said it, that you take in the good, you spit out the bad, and you add what is uniquely you, right? So that's the formula. I didn't, I didn't know that quote back then, but that's, that's, great. that's what I did. That's what I did, though. That's what I did. I, I took in the good, you spit out the bad, and then you add you to the thing that you're getting better at, right? So that's the formula. But Philadelphia, again, it's a very, they're a very proud place. They work hard for what they get. They don't have a whole lot. And what they do have, they want to spend it to do things on Sundays, right? And, and, I, and because I've really dove into, really wanted to know about the people that I'm playing playing for out there, I begin to see that when, and this, I guess it happens in to a certain degree everywhere, but if the team wins on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it's a, it's a blast. But when we lose, it's a, probably people calling in sick, right? It's like everything goes downhill, right? When, 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 so I literally saw that as, a lot of the things that we do on the field bless this city in a positive way. But here's the thing about it. Because I grew up where I grew up, nothing was ever given to me. I, I had always had the mindset that I'm supposed to make, give them something to cheer about. I don't expect them to cheer. It's my job to give you something to cheer about, right? And I always saw it like a tennis match. So when I go out and do what I'm supposed to do to give you something to cheer about, you then, I pass you that energy. And then you pass that energy back to be by, back to me on the field by getting up and cheering. And then it's my job to go make another play to pass that energy right back to you. Right. So throughout the game, that was my mindset. I'm, I'm going to do something. I got to do something to get these people to get these folk up. Now, I wasn't doing that just for the, my fans. I was doing that for my teammates as well to get if I needed to make a play. But the point is that I've, I felt that if a Philadelphia fan, man or a woman, if they all of a sudden wound up in the team hotel the night before, I mean the two, yeah, the night before, they knew the game plan, they can run, they can jump, 
and they can play the game of football and they had one game to play it, I believe they would have played it the way that I played it. Hmm. All emotion, showing your emotion, dancing, doing whatever you wanted to do because you got one shot to do it. And you're not going to, people are just out like you've been there handing the ball back to the ref. No, that's your only time. That's your only time doing it. No, you're going to be, oh, you're going to act a fool every time you make a play. And that's what I did. I had a great time doing it. And I believe that, again, that's what a Philadelphia fan would do if they had one one chance to play the game. They would have played it the way that I played it. Oh, that's a great answer. You know, we've got about, uh, let's say, seven minutes left. So I got to ask a football question. Yeah, go ahead. Um, So you joined the league 26 years ago, 1996. So quick thoughts on the NFL as a cultural institution then and now and NFL as a product then and now. Great question. Cultural institution. I think that they're doing a, a much better job of, of speaking to some of the things that the majority, a good majority, I won't say the majority because I don't know, probably uh, uh, um, more than half of the players have dealt with some of the things that they're talking about now more open. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a very in, embracing way um, to help individuals, once again, talk about those things that they probably have kept in their hearts, but they were afraid to talk about, that wouldn't talk about. So now it's more um, sometimes even appropriate. Like you can, you can talk about some of the things that are going, that you've gone through in your life and it helps those individuals, right? From, from that perspective. So from that perspective, I believe that it makes these individuals feel like, yeah, they're cared about. And that caring part is such a powerful thing. When you truly feel cared about and you feel nourished in that way, it really helps you to be a better product, better, better, not product, product, to produce a better outcome, a product on the field. You have more to give when you're being cared for that way. So from that cultural standpoint, I believe they're doing a, a much better job when it comes to that. And yeah, I mean, a lot of these issues were, weren't even discussed back in 1996 nope. in, nope. at the NFL, nope. like literally not even mentioned. <laughs> no, so, no. I mean, they, so, so okay. things were mentioned in, in interviews right. by different players about their communities, but it wasn't, wasn't given play. Right. It wasn't on a national level. Right? Oh, no. And here's yeah. the here's the, the thing about it. Because of social media now, we don't they don't need outlets. They don't need a they don't need a camera. They don't need a camera crew. They have these devices here that they can speak straight into and go live with it and they can get, you know, what's going on with them out. All right. So the, the second part of that was the game itself. So the way the game has evolved, the emphasis on offense, passing the protection of the quarterback, some of the rules changes. Are you good with where things are now? Okay, there's nothing I can do about it. Like <laughs> you can have an opinion. Of, you can have an opinion about. Oh yeah, I have an opinion, but there's nothing I can do about it. Like even when I was a defensive player and they were, were cracking down on everything, like okay, uh, there's nothing I can do about it. But yeah, follow the diagram rules. Well, I the, guess the, 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 I guess the, the market the, decides because their the ratings are up ten percent. The league has never been richer, so something must be working. Obviously, and, and that's what it's about. <laughs> and that's that's what about and that's and, and I've said it like this. I've said it that to play defense, you have to have a screw loose. I've had I have two loose. So I love to <laughs> run into people. I love I love to do that. I love the contact of it. But also, you have to have a screw loose because you know that the game is not necessarily made for you. Right. Like seriously, the game is really. If they can put up like this past weekend, everybody, oh what a phenomenal game! The game was forty-two to thirty-five or something like that. Like that, that's a horrible game defensively. Like I'm like, <laughs> if you're on defense, you're like, you got to be kidding me! Like you can't.
can't give up that many points, right? So from a, defensive, yeah, from, a, from a defensive mindset, like I'm like, no, no, this can't, no, I'm not, I'm not digging this. But again, that sells. So the 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 thing for me is you can't it's hard to make those split second decisions in that second to be able to hit a target that's moving and it's probably going to move and duck into the range that you just initiated so it's and to get your helmet out you got to turn this you got to do all of those things now they, they're doing a great job of teaching those things and i think that you know as generations come and go and stuff like that these things would be taught differently so obviously they have a, a better leg up than i did if you had a told us that we have to do it exactly like they're doing it now it, it would have been tough i would have gotten fined a whole lot but you know i would have learned i would have adjusted as as a player but to, to have a quarterback and there's so many in in college right uh, lsu no was it lsu no it was pitt and they changed the rule now and that was one of the things that was driving me crazy quarterbacks get to wait to the last second to slide but if he decides to duck his head on you and run you over, oh, he's a physical quarterback. No, <laughs> defensively, I don't know what you're about to do. So I'm playing in a, in a space that's foreign to me because I have to wait on you to make a decision of what you're about to do, right? So I'm happy that they changed that rule because if you know that the, the quarterback fake slid and right. then he uh, kept he running mm -hmm. and, and gained a lot of yards and everybody, oh, what a move. Oh, no, back in the day, he would have gotten his behind down quick because there was no rule to to to, to keep him safe, right? So in the, what I guess what I'm saying is that it's it's a frustrating thing. It's a very frustrating thing when everything is uh, predicated around the safety of one position. Now mm -hmm. you can say they 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 have have rule for receivers and the defenseless receiver, but there's one position that every rule applies for it and they create rules every year for them and you guys know what position that is the safety yes the safety. Yeah. <laughs> safety all right well joe before joe wraps it's the quarterback one, a, 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 a two second answer who speaking of qbs who was the the best qb and like craftiest qb you played against as a passer the craftiest is that's different. The craftiest is Brett Favre. Like, but if you're talking about that's for me when playing against him, um, okay. he's the one that's shoveling passes and he'll throw it yeah. behind his head. Like he was, he'll do whatever to, to get the ball out there. So crafty. Yeah. Um, and what was the other? Uh, um, just like the best, like the best, the guy that you respected the most as a defender. It would be the the two the two headed I guess monster uh, Brady and, and and Manning the way that they control the offense too it wasn't just the fact that mm -hmm. he can throw the football and put it where it needed to be it's to how they control the football how they control mm -hmm. the game how they put the team in the right positions to have success yeah cool well um, Brian Dawkins the name of the book is blessed by the best we're blessed to have you on the show today on the yes. Cusp Show thank you um, before we let you go. Where can people find out more about the book, the foundation, uh, and and uh, where, I'm not sure where where can they follow you as well? Oh, well, you go to BrianDawkins.com. I have a right. website. You can go on there to check some things out. You can obviously you can obviously buy it on on Amazon if you would like. Um, mm -hmm. At some point here soon, we'll be putting the book back up to be sold. Um, to you can get autographed copies of the book. Um, so we'll have that up on the site here in, in a little bit. But in, but it, it's just a blessing to be honest with you, to have people already DMing me about how some of the things and how I, how the way that I saw the thing that I went through that was painful helped them to see the thing that they're going through differently. 
that's and that's great. the power thing about I believe about this book to see things in that in in that uh, that vein. Great, cool, amazing. Well, once again, uh, thanks for joining us. Another great forty-five minutes. We wish you well. We're going to get the book. We're going to talk about the book in class. Uh, we'll obviously share the podcast and make sure that everybody gets it. But once again, Tom, another great forty-five minutes of of learning for us. Most importantly. Yeah. Really appreciate it, Brian. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Thank you for all the great work you're doing. Um, and hopefully one of these days we can see you in New York City. Maybe you can visit the Columbia campus and give, give some words of inspiration to a bigger group. Why not? And I didn't, didn't even mention that. You didn't even uh, remind me to, to mention the uh, Weapon X Academy I have coming out. It's the coaching platform that I'll be using, Weapon X Academy. Oh, cool. And Weapon X, I like that. Yeah, yeah. the first from your introduction, nickname, right? yeah. the first introduction <laughs> into that is yeah. the Beast Formula. And that's the best energy attitude self today. So that'll be the formula that I'll be teaching from um, when I come out with a coaching platform. Once again, we'd like to thank Brian Dawkins for joining us. Uh, I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host, Tom Richardson. You've been listening to The Cusp Show, and we'll see you down the road.